testing this out. Uh, this is out from the cube. It's uh, Tuesday, Tuesday uh, late afternoon. I actually just got done about two hours ago with the podcast, and it was about a 30 or 40 minute podcast. I'm still editing it. Uh, I believe that's episode 11. But as I finished that and clicked uh, stop recording, um, I was still really fired up about what I was talking about and didn't want it to just really come from me. Um, but I immediately thought of one of my buddies uh, that has done very well professionally and in the business world and with some of the companies he's been a part of. And I knew he had the day off today. And so I sent him a message right when I got off. I was like, hey, are you home? And he happened to be in front of his computer. And so I just texted him. I was like, hey, why don't you hustle over to the house? And, uh, and uh, there's, I wanted you to be on a podcast. And he didn't have anything going on today. So he was able to just jump on over. And I wanted to continue the discussion or really kind of start it over, but not have me kind of talk about some of the things that we talked about earlier. And this will be episode 12. So I will put out episode 11. We'll kind of go back back to them. We'll go 11, where I kind of talk about some culture and uh, some things and leadership. And then we'll bring in uh, my buddy, Joe. So uh, I'm so Joe is the first person I'm bringing in Joe Quinn. Joe Quinn is a, a very good friend of mine here in the St. Louis area. Uh, we've been connected for three or four years. Our boys uh, play sports together and go to the same church and same school area. And uh, we've become really uh, connected uh, uh, as a part of this community. But Joe's been very successful in uh, the distri distribution, marketing, and some of those channels and let him actually fine tune exactly what he's done for a living. Um, but Joe's somebody I really value, value is, uh uh, his opinion, his experience, how he's built companies and how he's changed teams and uh, our thinking in terms of children and parenting and motivation and leadership and what we want our children to become and how we want them to be as people, business men and uh, husbands are very much in line. And we also are very much in line in terms of business and teams and, and crushing things and knocking it out of the park. So um, with that, and actually, Joe was also the first non-Polaris person to be on the podcast. So um, I wanted to bring him on first and uh, and uh, I'm very fortunate we get to spend an hour or so just kind of talking shop and talking leadership and business and culture and things like that. So I guess welcome to the podcast, Joe. Appreciate you coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, George. I'm glad that I'm the first non-Polaris. It's a big first, deal. So it's a big deal. You had a great time going here. I'm glad to be part of it. Yeah, it is fun. This uh, It's been good. So what we... Uh, um, just give us our background because I don't know your background perfect. I know a few places that you've been, but just don't necessarily know the responsibilities that you've had and how you built your teams. And I, there are some things, like I said, I, you, I just recorded a podcast a couple hours ago. You don't necessarily know the content of that podcast, but I do want to do a deep dive into some of the things I was thinking about with that podcast. And I know it intersects what you've done for a living, but just give us, give us that quick sure. background of where you've been, what you're doing yeah. and, and where you're at. Yeah, so after after college, I, I started my career at Sam's Club, so working for Walmart. Um, after that, I joined Frito-Lay, which is a PepsiCo division. So I worked for Frito-Lay, then I switched to Pepsi, and most recently with Coca-Cola in a wide variety of roles. So there was a 14-year stretch where I was in eight different cities. I've had the opportunity to lead large sales teams, warehouse teams, and logistics teams throughout that process. And so that was with the last one, that was with Coke? Right. The last one was with Coke and just so like what would be daily. So when you, you just rattled off sales and distribution and a bunch of other things. Yeah. Like. So at Coca-Cola, I was our vice president of field operations. So the easiest way to put that is, is my responsibility 
was to work with the manufacturing facilities, tell them, tell them how much product to produce. They would produce it. And my job was to get it after it was produced and get it into the store. So we had to get it into the warehouse, break it down by store, get it on a truck, and get the right product to the right stores. And that's pretty, I mean, fairly analytical and automated process and very technical, I'm guessing, to kind of know who needs what, when they need it, and being ahead of the it, curve uh, and all it that. It sounds so simple to put uh, drinks on the shelf, but there's a lot to There's a lot sure. that goes on with Absolutely. that. And you, when you were with Coke, you spent most of your time here in St. Louis? I spent, uh, yeah, all my time in St. Louis. All your time in St. Louis. Yeah. And then I think just by our conversations, you, just with Coke, but probably all the places mm -hmm. you've been, you travel it. You have traveled a lot, right? Yeah, I've, uh, I've even had the opportunity with PepsiCo to, to go to India. Our CEO oh. is from, from India, so she selected eight people across the globe to go to her country to work on a clean water project. So I was uh, one of eight lucky individuals, one of, you know, 300,000 right. employees, one, to be one of eight chosen to go do right. something. That was a, an unbelievable opportunity, obviously, that I won't forget. Wow. So one, uh, you've said, and I, I tuck things away in little phrases and kind of bullets in my holster that I can always kind of pull out when I have discussions with people. Um, you're a very driven person. Like you're, you, you, I know you, and you're my buddy, but you're very driven, very motivated. You, you definitely come across like, hey, if there's something I... Uh, and given to a uh, task to do or something that uh, I need to deliver, like you knock it out. Like uh, you're, you seem very focused and you crush it and all that sort of stuff. Um, right. That's fair. I mean, no, that's a fair, fair assessment. Uh, my wife has told me the same thing and her and I've been together for a long time. Right. So, yes. And, and people that listen to this, th this is a driven family. So it's not just Joe. I, I know, <laughs> I know his kids and I've coached his kids and I know his wife and that is a very driven and motivated and results oriented family. Right. So I, and I say all that because, so you've been a part of these, these groups and, uh, and you're very driven and you've had, you've led people and your management and all this sort of stuff. And you are tasked with kind of building these teams, right? Yeah. So even, so after Sam's club, I, I joined Freeway. That was really probably, I mean, even I guess at Sam's club, I mean, I was, I wasn't the store manager. I was one of their assistants in all different parts, but my, I would say my first real assignment, was going to free to lay open up a brand new distribution center for them. So well, what's involved then in terms of like, yeah, like so, is that like like you just got a bare bones center and you've got to do all the hiring, you've got to do the infrastructure, you've you got to name it. I had to do it all. And I was new at the company, so I was, you know, twenty five thinking I could solve the world, but the reality is is no you can't. Right. Um, but I like you said, I was very driven even at a younger age. So um yeah, we had to hire, develop process, develop procedures. Um everybody on my team was new. And was all were all those processes and that flow of hiring and building out infrastructure and doing all that, was that stuff you just came up with at 25 or did you have somebody kind of saying, hey, this is the way we do this or the hiring's got to go through these people or whatever it might be or did you just yeah, go so for it? It was a brand new state-of-the-art DC. We had um, some things at our distribution center that were not like a lot of your own. So we had to develop a lot of the new stuff. Now, we were able to benchmark other locations and steal some best practices. I was able to get uh, a couple resources that I was able to recruit that were from some other locations that significantly mm -hmm. helped develop those processes. But you know, at the end of the day, when you have to hire and train all of these people, and it's a new concept for me, mm -hmm. and I'm learning, and, and our managers are learning. So we had to completely you know, find out what kind of culture we wanted. You know, those are interesting challenges for a 25 year old 
yes. And so honestly, what, what's a 25-year-old that's building out a distribution center that just is trying to accomplish everything you just laid out? What are you looking for when you're trying to hire somebody? You know, so for us hiring, um, it's really about bringing on the right people. We, we would, we'd spent a lot of time and we'd, we'd changed. I mean, at first it felt like sometimes you just were trying to get warm bodies in and that sounded really bad because we were in kind of a, a crunch. And, um, but we got very fortunate and we hired the very first 10. We, we actually um, were, were the best. Like these 10 stayed with us and we developed them and we worked with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we were able to lay a good foundation. So we started with 10 and we ended up getting, you know, on up from there. But for us, it's really, is the individual going to understand what we're doing? Are they going to fit into what we're trying to, to get to? Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it's probably one of the most proudest moments I've had throughout my career because we were able to take that team. And in our second full year, we were able to have, become what we call team of the year at Frito Life. So for wow. us, being new, new employees, new processes, new procedures, right. and to get that team to a level and perform at the level that they were performing at in such quick time was mm-hmm. pretty big. Pretty big. It's really a fulfillment center you built, right? Like, yeah. hey, you need this. Uh, so I want you to be. Uh, I want you to. It's okay to have an ego and kind of tell yourself that you're good here because I, I, I want you to do that. <laughs> but what did you do at 25 years old to put yourself in a position to get that job? Um, like you, you must've been kicking ass. Well, so I, I was with Sam's club. I, I literally just got my master's degree. Um, I ran into, ran into Frito-Lay. They had the job posting through multiple interviews. You know, they obviously took a huge risk of me because here I am starting up this brand new distribution center. I look back and I'm thinking, man, they were kind of crazy mm-hmm. hiring somebody as young as I was to go handle the biggest project because we were in Joplin, Missouri, and we were also servicing Northwest Arkansas, which is Walmart's mm-hmm. headquarters. So for free delay, that's a big deal. Um, so it was an area that we could not mess up. Mm-hmm. You know, we had all the attention. We had the CEO coming multiple times, Andrew Noe, the CEO of PepsiCo, coming to our facility. Um, so yeah, we we had a lot of eyes on us for sure. How did that experience at Walmart with Sam Walton and probably the leadership and how they built that company and how profitable and all that sort of stuff that comes with Walmart, yeah. how did having that job at right out of college impact you? So when I was, um, my first assignment, true assignment with Sam's Club was to go grand open a brand new distribution or store in Reno, Nevada. Hmm. So we had to hire all those people. At what age? Um, right out of college so 22 23 ish and that's your task like you are was, leading the charge of building and opening up a store in reno yeah wow yeah so basically i lived in sam's club for the first year <laughs> right. literally lived in there um but it was one of the most rewarding experiences and uh and i say that from a work perspective also from a personal perspective because that's you know my wife um she moved out there with me right. and, you know so it's just the two of us out out there so um, but I tell you, you asked a question about Sam's Club and how they kind of instilled a lot on, on me. And I can still remember a lot of the teachings that they taught about Sam Walton, mm-hmm. you know, from just a, a people person, from an expense control person, talking stories about Sam Walton picking up a penny on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but Walmart does a lot of great things, uh, especially even at a high level. Um, the CEO come out and was in our store when we grand opened that week and he was on a register, on hmm. a register. 
and he was talking to customers and putting stuff in a basket. And I can still remember the cashier that was helping them. She dropped a little scan gun and was like, that's $16,000 you gotta be careful. And how nervous she was. But, um, and where I was going with that is, is they weren't afraid to get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And that's a concept that I still utilize today. Um, I think even as I've climbed the ladder throughout my career, it is, is I really focused on trying to get my hands dirty with right. people. I, I'll go hop on the truck. I'll go into the store. I've always felt it's my job to truly understand what the front line's doing. Because mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, I'm making decisions that's impacting so many people. So right. if I don't understand what the front line's doing, then I'm not going to be very good at making decisions in my mind. Right. So Yeah, the th- people I've studied, uh, just in terms of that, mm-hmm. well, you know, this buzzword that gets thrown around in leadership right now, and it's, you know, I, it's been thrown around for a while now, is servant leadership. That, that is the buzzword in leadership and what that means and how you can, you know, demonstrate it and all that. And the first person I always think of when I could hear stories like that is John Wooden. Now, Joe and I have a background in basketball. Uh, Joe played college football, right? Mm-hmm. And family's great basketball players and uh, wife won two or three state championships in basketball and all that. But I think of John Wooden who, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, winning multiple national championships and being regarded as the best coach in the history of basketball is even in his last year of coaching is still sweeping the floor, still taping ankles, still rolling out the ball rack, right? And still doesn't think of himself, you know, still thinks of like, I still should be a cashier. And we've, I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast, but like Tony Heisch, I want to say, I'm probably not saying his name correct, but the CEO of Zappos who still has his desk around call centers like he, and this is a multimillionaire and who still works the call center once a year, like around Christmas time and still takes phone calls. There's something to be said. And I've gone to places and looked at businesses where it always turns me off when you see the CEO that has the parking spot by the front door. Like I, that always reserved for the president <laughs> CEO. I always risen and I've worked at a place. I'm not going to give the name, but there, I've worked at a place and you walked by it every day and he had this, you know, great uh, Tesla car when it mm-hmm. first came out. And I'm like, that just speaks, that speaks to, it just speaks to something. <laughs> I think that is a leadership oh, thing, right? I'm with you. So my first, uh, I guess the first time I was introduced to servant leadership was, was Al Curry and he was the CEO of Pepsi at the time. Um, well, Frito Lay, and then he went on to Pepsi. Uh, but he's done something good for all throughout his career. But he was the one who really talked about servant leadership. And I'm like, man, that just makes so much sense. Right. And it's so easy. And, you know, every, every time I've gotten a promotion and moved on, I've always usually been the leader, the most highest ranking official at that location. So, you know, I've always viewed my job as removing obstacles. At the end of the day, I need the frontline teams. I need everybody else executing. My job is remove obstacles. Hmm. And that's what Al taught me. He said, you know, and regardless, I mean, that's, I can do that when you are the leader, when you, you have keys to the financial or you can go ask for the money if you don't have enough. But hmm. um, at the end of the day, my job is to remove obstacles and allow my team to go execute. Hmm. That's actually a great, that's a great, that's a great phrase. Yeah. Um, so other, let me, let me paint this. So I want to, I want to circle back to not circle back. I want you to start and dive deep into your opinions and thoughts and given that background, given that you've opened distribution centers and that you've moved up the chain and your leadership and servant leadership and the people that you've worked under, and those are those are transcending cultures, right? When you start talking Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and Pepsi and Sam Walton, mm-hmm. like you've seen, you've worked for 
the IBMs and the Microsofts and the Googles. So like a lot, number of people that do listen to this podcast are IT related. So you've worked for the top, yeah. like you've been there. So like it would be people listening that are IT people being 21, 22 years old and your first job is Google or your first job is over at YouTube or it's at Microsoft or whatever, like that's what you did. So you were able to take these great experiences and these great cultures. You can't survive. You can't be Walton. You can't be Sam Walton or you can't be Walmart or Sam's club and stand the test of time without some great standards and great principles and practices that can stand the test of time. Right. Those companies have been around. They got it down. There's a, there's a way they do business. Like, not specifically to each one of those, but what were some of those, what were some of those principles, practices, values that you, that, that either you aligned with or that you took away with to other, your next stop. And when you built teams up. So something that I still do to this day, and, and I had the opportunity to work at four different Sam's clubs. And although I never got the opportunity to meet Sam Walton, I knew a ton of associates that had, and the mm -hmm. impact that he left on all of those people. And, Everybody would talk to you and tell you about how Sam was so well-connected with the employees and how he just made you feel like a million bucks and and just in his conversations. And so I actually just kind of created my own little thing that I would do on a Friday at 2 o'clock, and I just called it Mission America. And I would put this on my calendar. Mm -hmm. And that was my own little thing of me just getting out and walking and talking to the people. So I would talk um, to as many people as I can from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Every single Friday, without fail, hmm. still do it. And it's my time to talk to employees about what they're doing this weekend. That's big time, man. Where, where are they going? Like, how's their family? So I wouldn't talk anything about standards. I wouldn't talk about numbers. I wouldn't talk about performance, any of that stuff. Now, if they asked a question, I would answer it. But um, it was more for me to get to know the team on a personal level. And, you know, when you think about your Friday afternoons, you don't want to go have meetings or those things for, for at least in our business. It was a perfect time for me to get mm -hmm. out from my desk and go interact right. um, with as many people as possible and talk to as many people as possible um, and just really try to get to know them on a personal level. How many people to, are we talking about? Uh, I mean, it, it varied by location and how popular the time we got. You know, I moved really? a whole bunch, as I said. So, right. um, you know, at first it was 100 people that wow. you know, worked inside that facility. Now, not everybody worked on a Right. Yeah, at one time, but right. Um, but yeah, every Friday that I would uh, from two o'clock to four o'clock, that was my right. My thing. I think. I mean, and I've said this in other podcasts. I, I just think as leaders, sometimes we get so wrapped up in bottom lines and dollars and ROI. And I've talked to people, and even in the coaching world, right, that it's all about results, and I don't care too much. You know, just as long as you're getting me what I need to at the end of the day. You know, I've heard people say, "Hey, I'm running a business." The reality is those outcomes, those results, and that ROI, it's not about products. You know, I listened to a, pod, uh, a YouTube video today about a CEO here in town, and his name's escaping me, um, where he was, it's all about people. And it's all about that being connected with people. Like, that's the number one thing with teams, yeah. right? And so you're, you do have a background in sports. You played college football. And that really is what those coaches try to do, where especially college football, where you have 50, 60, 70, 80 kids all playing, yeah. and you're trying to get all those guys connected, yeah. right? And I'm guessing sports played a big role in your leadership and the direction you're, uh, how you form teams and maybe even some of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I started, uh, you know, sports from a young age and, and played and, you know, I was, 
was, gosh, even from seventh grade to high school, we only lost a few of those five football games. Maybe mm-hmm. it was six. I had the opportunity to win a couple state titles at a high school. Wow. Um, was captain of the football team. You know, so I took a leadership role from from a young age, and even in high school, I was our senior class president. Right. Um, so I've done a lot of different things. You know, and I think a lot of it, your background mm-hmm. um, and how you were raised and the things that you did at home and the way your parents raised you and, and a lot of the opportunities that I was given at such a young age um, to make an impact on people. Right. Uh, you know, I think it carries over to, to the ICU yeah. as well. Where, so this idea of, I forgot what you called it, that what the Mission that, America. Mission America. I like it, man. I like Put it. Put it on your calendar. No, so here's, I, I say this every podcast. Uh I want to provide value to the people that listen to this, that they can either consider one thing every episode or maybe implement one thing every episode. I think there's probably more that you could implement, more you could consider. But if it was one thing, if I could, we can provide one thing of value. So I think the people that listen to this, and I know a number of people that do, I think that's a great practice, right? Because I do think it's, uh, I, I hang it on three kind of pillars, connectedness, a sense of making sure your people feel they belong and making sure your people feel safe, yeah. right? That they can make mistakes, that they can raise their hand, that yeah. they can ask questions, that that's that safety. I know it's kind of a fluffy word and, and things, but I think that safety, that belonging, that connectedness and what you're doing, I think does it like it does it every Friday where people can just feel like, you know what? I'm, I got my kids this weekend. I'm going to take them to go see Jurassic park. And you know, so-and-so is not feeling like all that sort of stuff. Right. It yeah. makes them, Feel like people. To a point they, they knew it was Friday. Oh, here, here right. it comes. <laughs> you right. know? And we, we would just chat. Right. And uh, and at the end of the day, like the I, I had the opportunity to be promoted and do a lot of different things. And I, I'm i not the one actually getting those results. Like, I'm the cheerleader, I'm the coach, I'm right. the goal setter, I'm the, you know, let's set the direction, I want to establish the culture. Um, but your teams are the ones that are out doing it. And right. So that was my way of trying to recognize, reward, make people feel good about. Right. Working, and we're, you know, working in those tough environments that they're working. In. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me circle back then, because I do want your opinion on this, and uh, you do have that background uh, with a couple different, a number of big time companies and culture. And uh, my idea was this, and and I've said this with some groups that I've talked talked with before. And in the IT world, I believe that IT shops that are building products and developing software mm-hmm. are essentially all kind of doing the same thing. Yeah that we're, you know, writing code. We've got something we're using to write code. We're checking in code. We're checking out code. We're pushing it to a, some sort of repository that stores the code. Other people check it in uh, and make changes and check it in, all that sort of stuff. Then we have QAs and testing and environments and deployments. Like we're all doing the same thing. Now, some people do it a little different. Um, and and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck with the mind uh, with thinking about over the past week or so, like what, why are we different? If everybody's essentially doing the same thing, why are some IT shops great? Why are they cranking out more code? Why are they cranking out better code? Why are they pleasing their clients? Why are they writing better products when we're all kind of doing the same thing? And I, and I draw this parallel to kind of Chick-fil-A and in the other podcasts, like McDonald's, Dairy Queen, Burger King, Steak and Shake, and Chick-fil-A. They're all doing the same thing, but they're quite different. And the the vibe of customers and the image they have and the culture they have is considerably different. And the the idea is that Chick-fil-A is terribly different than McDonald's Mm -hmm. in kind of a customer 
thought and how they think about those two companies. Um, and so my idea with the podcast that I, um, I'll release here shortly, uh, episode 11, is the idea it's not, we're all doing the same thing, but we're all emphasizing different things. And it's the emphasis that is the separator. Um, basketball, everybody's doing the same thing, but somebody might emphasize offense and fast breaking and open threes. And somebody may be emphasizing defense and half court man to man, locking people down to playing in the fifties. Right. But they're all playing basketball, mm-hmm. but they're all kind of getting different outcomes and attracting different people. So I guess with your background, when do you see that? I mean, all those places you've been and your competitors. Yeah. So whoever the Frito-Lay and those competitors are, what were your separators? What would you do different? Or is everybody in that space different? Or is everybody really so, the same? As you were talking about, I mean, the, the things that come to mind when, when you were talking there is, you know, I've had the opportunity to, to go into new new locations. And every time I've went, it's been, hey, i got to go fix it this year. And you talk about, you know, people doing a lot of the same tasks. What, what I have done throughout my career is the first, you know, the first 30 days for me is, is really about understanding, building trust. Okay, we can mm-hmm. go into a new location. But then it's it's assessments. And, you know, you talked about all these people building codes and doing different things. Um, but it's about understanding the strengths of each individual contributor on your team. Mm-hmm. you got to know their strengths and you got to know their opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of sharing those. Like, I'm, I'm okay with people knowing exactly what my strengths are and what my opportunities are. I'm very upfront. That's one of the first things I did. Like, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be. Here's what I'm good at. Here's my opportunities. And I want everybody on the team to understand, like, where are your strengths and where are your opportunities? Mm-hmm. It's okay. We all got them. This is not like an I got you contest. This is Nobody's getting in trouble for having opportunities. Right. But as being the leader of the location, I want to make sure that I'm maximizing your strengths. Because mm-hmm. if you have an opportunity, I bet you somebody else has that strength. Mm-hmm. So it's about assigning activities and really about work assignments that are going to make people happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, is that your strength? Does it make you happy? Do you want to do more of it? Yep. Okay. Then let's do that because I can mm-hmm. put more of that on your plate and take off these tasks that you don't. Mm-hmm. But I've always been a big believer in writing down all the activities that everybody does right. and then assigning out work based on people's strengths and opportunities and be very upfront about these kind of conversations about strengths, opportunities, and, you know, setting, setting goals for us as well. And, and there's all sorts yeah. of personality assessments that people can do and take. Mm-hmm. There's tons of them out there. And I tell you, it will change the dynamics of your team. It makes a huge impact. Right. And uh, the, the stuff really works. So the idea, and I think what you're saying and how this resonates in my mind is, yes, people are going to, in the same vertical, in the same space, People are essentially doing all the same things. Mm-hmm. The reason one company, one IT shop or one consulting company may be better or people may be attracted to that more or a, a client may be more attracted to hire them. Um, it really is. It really is the leadership and the culture and what that company emphasizes. Yeah. Right. But the, the other thing that, that I've done, too, is, is I get people outside of their function and work in another function. So take the IT guy out. Go have him work with a sales guy. Mm-hmm. And the sales guy can talk about his problems and the IT guy probably has a right. solution and that the IT guy didn't even know that right. the sales guy was even having that problem. And that, and then now you got two people working, mm-hmm. thinking different things. It creates um, so many different, uh, I guess, more collaboration right. amongst the team. So I've done that in every location because you will find out that that's probably one of the biggest opportunities is, is that functions don't understand what the other functions are doing. 
Right. And once you get people outside of that, and also kind of some job rotation to get your brain thinking differently, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of come back and tell your teams about, hey, the sales team's really looking for this. The operations team's really looking for that. And then you, um, you're starting making better decisions for the company, not necessarily what's right for the sales team. Right. And, you know, once you get outside your comfort zone and start learning about other functions, it makes a big difference. It's going to make the team a lot better. Hmm. So it makes me think, and I, for those that listen, I hate to keep pimping this book out, but there's a book called The Culture Code uh, that I have next to me, actually. And in there, and I've talked about this before, there's a chapter in there about Pixar. And Pixar was purchased. Pixar was irrelevant. Uh, they had a, name, uh, a CEO named uh, Ed Catmull. might not be pronouncing his name correctly, but when Disney bought Pixar and brought them in, the first thing that Ed Catmull did when he took over was to get those groups to communicate more, kind of a shared space. He actually moved offices around. He actually moved the offices around so there was more collaboration. So a big buzzword in IT is collaboration and making sure all these groups are talking with one another. You get business people that think a certain way Mm -hmm. with no IT background or experience or understanding of what software development is all about. And then you have IT people who are very introverted, like you sit in a cubicle and not really talk to anybody and just want to hammer out code requirements and, you know, and learn as much as they can technically and getting those two groups together to communicate and understand their pain points or the expectations business is putting on them or the, the time constraints IT is putting on business and deliverables. That's a, that's a huge problem. And that, I mean, you can make a lot of money in this industry solving that problem, right? And that's that's one of the things that our company, you know, discusses is is that is being that proxy in between those uh, between those two groups. And there's there's a there, there's something there to try to get those groups to solve. But it is it's collaboration, communication, and empathy to try to get those groups to understand each other. Yeah. Collaboration, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of results. You, you figure out how to work together, you get your teams, and, and whether it's sports teams, which you mentioned earlier, right. or, or work teams, um, it, it's really the same concept. Right. You know, you talked about the culture code, that book. I, I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago um, by Dan Campbell, Alive at Work. And this guy, like a lot of the stuff that I've even already talked about and things that I were doing, like this guy had a bunch of science around it and um, all these different studies about things that they were doing. And one of the things that, that I took from him is he, he said, people either lead with their heart, their head, or their hands. So a lot of people that are leading with their hands, hey, just put me in coach, and if you tell me to go you know, right here, I'll run through that wall if that's what you want me to do. The people that lead with their heads will tell you, you know, if you tell the, the kid to go run through the wall, they're going to figure out, you know, the smartest way to go do that. And mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, dissect it a million different ways. Um, the people that lead with their heart, you know, they're all in it. They'll figure it out. They'll do whatever. Um, hmm. I really kind of thought that was an right. interesting way. That but, is. You know, as a leader, you need to understand who is leading with their heart, who's leading with their head, who's leading with their hands. Right. And then really figuring out who those people are and then maximizing their strengths. Um, you'll make some big difference on your, your teams. Right. I wonder, I wonder how people make that. I wonder how great leaders make that change or if it's just something they have. Do you think leaders are born? <laughs> so let me, let me, people that are listening, Joe and I've been friends for a while. We have two kids and we, and I said this earlier, we share, we share the same motivations in raising our children. We, uh, you have uh, three boys and a daughter, and I have two boys. Um, they play sports together, but we do sit back and talk about them being competitive, them learning how to be leaders, them learning about sacrifice and what hard work looks like and what winning looks like and uh, what a team looks like and how to collaborate with somebody else or communicate or problem solve. Like all the great things that team sports teach, 
you and I are very much in line. Very aligned. Now, would you say that we can develop our children as leaders? You know, so because you have you have four. I, I have two, but you <laughs> so have four. I'm like four different uh, right. scopes here. Right. Um, I would tell you, like my my oldest son is probably the smartest of all four, just naturally gifted. Uh, knows more about sports than anybody. Now, um, you do this a great job as a coach. I mean, you don't you talk about leadership and how it, it impacts on the basketball court, how it translates into life. Like that's what I do. We don't really talk X's and O's a bunch. We talk strategy, you know, hey, what did you do from a leadership? What kind of conversations did you have with your team? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that are important to me because those are the things that carry on in life. And, you know, that game's already over, but I want you to understand how that's going to impact you and make you a better person and impact more people's life right. when you get older. Um, now, my second son, I think, comes by it more naturally. There's been time and time again where I've had people that um, – Multiple coaches at this say when when he is on the field, when he's on the court, when he's interacting with the kids, Mm -hmm. like his leadership style, it's very contagious. Like I want him on the court because he he does a good job of talking to the kids and pumping them up and and more of just a natural leader. So you you talk about, hey, are leaders naturally born or not? Right. Um, You know, I think they're probably naturally born, but in my opinion, there's a lot of, in today's world, there's so many books and podcasts, like you can learn how to be. Right. One of the things that in a podcast that I've listened to in the past eight months or so, and it's something I now believe, one of the primary roles or goals or outcomes for a leader is to develop more leaders. Right. And that it should be something like I'm going to tell you if you're if 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 I'm expected to lead you, I'm going to make sure that I develop you as a leader and what that looks like. And I do. You hit a great I, I think you use this phrase and it's um, something that's in my notes uh, from this week. And it's the ability to inspire, right? So you talk about your second son and it's just natural for him. He can be on the floor and he can just inspire people. And I think, I'm wondering if we can do that professionally. Like, you know, these groups that you had to build and these DC uh, distribution centers that you had to open and that you can't take that all on. Like you better bring people in that you can kind of develop as leaders that can do that. And I'm wondering, but you got to, I think it really starts with being able to inspire people that they can do great things and they can be great leaders and things like that. Um, I mean, do you, no, I agree. And honestly, the most fun that I've had in my career is, is when you watch somebody that works for you get promoted, you know, right. there is nothing more rewarding than watching somebody getting a big promotion or moving on. Right. And you know, the time that you invested with them has paid off. And right. I, I watched this person go from a raw talent to now, extremely capable leading something other big you know he's doing more things for him and his family like he's earning more those are the most rewarding things right i i think yeah so when you can get when you can inspire it's fun when um i I have a friend and this is a coaching friend who did a nba he did skill development and we became pretty good friends he's going to be on the (laughs) podcast in the next month or so he's uh with summer basketball he's very busy around the country uh, but he said something that really resonated with me, and it really is a servant mindset and a great uh, ability to lead and inspire other people. And all his phrase was, come and take my job. Like, cut, like this is my job. I'm the director of basketball development for such and such place. And, um, and what he said was, if you follow basketball, if you're a coach that listens to this, John Lucas is a name that people know, and he's uh, might be a Hall of Famer, but he runs a... Actually, he runs a drug and alcohol rehab center in Houston, but he was a member of the Houston Rockets, and he's very big in 
player development nationally with youth. And uh, he's a big name, big, big name in basketball development. And my friend Jason was in a car with John Lucas and John Lucas asked him what he wants to do for his life. You know, what are his goals and objectives and the position he wanted to try to attain? And he said, well, I want to be what I want to be doing what you're doing is what he said. And John Lucas looked at him. He said, come and take my job, come and take it. Not in a bad or demeaning way or anything like that. But he was like, you should reach for it and I should prepare you and give you as much counsel and guidance and uh, along the way. So you are capable of my job. Right. And I think that is, I think that's, that empowers people, man. Like if you can sit there and say, Meg, you can have my job, like come and get it, come and take it. I'll train you, whatever you need, because ultimately if I help and serve you and prepare you for my job, I'm moving the chain too. Right. And I think that's a, a good, I think there's a little mindset or phrases that you can take. Like that's a, that's a great let. So if we have great lessons and this is something that's resonated with me for the past week, we say things to our kids and that we don't say to the people we employ or we don't, we challenge our kids a certain way, or we want great things for our kids a certain way, but we don't want them for the people that we're leading. Right. I want my, I want my kid to, to have dreams and to think he can accomplish anything and that there's nothing he can't do without hard work and all that. But, but I don't do that to other people. Right. Or I tell people, or I might laugh at somebody or that I might say they can't do something. And I'm like, I would never say that to my kid. Right. <laughs> or I wouldn't want anybody to say that to my kid. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. It's, you know, I think people development is, is, is so important, whether it's young kids or people at work. And, and I've done a ton of that. I'm right. a big fan of developing people. And, and unfortunately, I, I was in a role one time when I wanted to spend five grand on a training class. And I was really around time management. And if you look at it, was basically an outlook thing. And, and outlook has so many tools that most people don't, average person don't know. Right. And if you've never been trained on it, why would you know? So it was five grand to bring in some training money. And uh, it's one of those things that pay for itself. Like if you know how to use outlook and you end up playing your week and I'm a big time planner, this stuff will pay for itself. Um, well, my boss was like five grand. I'm not spending five grand. I said, well, if we don't spend it and mm-hmm. these people stay, it's going to cost you in the long run. So right, right. it's a payment hour, payment later time. Right, right, right. You know, and uh, so I've always been the big right. time. There's a phrase and, that I saw on LinkedIn that you make me think of this, and it's a great phrase. But the idea on LinkedIn that I saw in one of these images was, "What if we train our people as best we can, and they get smarter and better, and all this sort of stuff, and then they leave?" Yeah. And then the the follow up is. What if we don't and they stay, right? So what if we don't like, what if, you know, that's the thing. Like, so uh, my mind always shifts to kind of athletics because I think it is a good uh, metaphor and, and parallel to the business world. But you sit there in the NBA and develop these players and then they get to be great. And then all of a sudden at the end of their contract, they go play for your competitor. And you're like, man. You know, but what if he had stayed and played for that? He was just garbage, right? And he just kind of stayed a garbage player. What would we have? We'd have a overpriced garbage player. That's not any good. So good for him. But then if you sit back and have the mindset of, man, if we all just had the mindset of leading our teams where it was about other people, right? And one thing I've admired about you and your family, and I do think there's a parallel between, uh, you know, how families run and what's important to those families and how they kind of manage uh, th- their family and what they do in the business world is very, uh, very connected. But your family in, in, my, in what I've observed is very service oriented. Like you have your kids out on Thanksgiving and on weekends and the involvement with your church and all that sort of stuff. Like your kids, all four of your kids and your family is built on service. 
my, my opinion, right? And I, but I do see that probably in what you're saying also about how you lead, mm -hmm. right? Going around and just making sure people are, that, that it's about more than, you know, Fritos. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's how many people you can impact. And, and, you know, I grew up, I grew up with a big family, one to nine. I think it's something my parents, oh, wow. my, my grandparents for sure. Um, I can tell you if I was with my dad or grandpa and I didn't open the door for the older right. gentleman walking in front of me, like I didn't want to have that conversation. Right. Grandpa, right. That. Right. Why didn't you go and sprint up there to open that door? Right. You know? Um, so and when you grow up in a small town, small towns are, are made with volunteers and you're not looking for the government to provide assistance. You just figure it out. You know, right. you've got less than 3000 people. And everybody's got a role. So that's that was the environment that we grew up in. Um, at the end of the day, it, life is about the people you impact. Right. Um, so let me, I'm going to inter interrupt you there. So everything you just said about your upbringing, one and nine, grandpa, service, holding doors open, small town. How has that played into how, how you run your teams and how you lead and how a 25-year-old ends up in Reno opening stores and all yeah. that? Like how, granted, granted I, I, I know the answer, but. Like that, that, that's significant. Yeah. I mean, you know, grandpa, dad, you know, my uncles were all hard workers and we were on a family farm. So that's, that was the life we, we did. And, you know, grandpa was touchy, you put your pants on the same way everybody else did. You know, mm -hmm. just, you got to go out and, um, and treat people with respect. I mean, that was, that was a big deal for him. Right. Um, and I actually put this on LinkedIn and I would just, I, I heard this quote about uh, this grandpa that pulls his grandsons. I liked it. I saw uh, it. Yeah, tell the story because I was the first one to like it. I do remember this. This was a great story. So tell the story. I really like this because I'm going to use it one day. Oh, I mean, I and I could see my grandpa in this conversation. Anyway, so grandpa pulls grandson aside after the, the boy was throwing a little fit. Not, not a bad one, but he threw a fit. Something that the, the kids shouldn't have did. Grandpa just said, hey, be careful by the way you behave on field because my name's on that jersey too right and i could see my grandpa pulling me aside probably would have twisted my ear a little bit you know in that conversation <laughs> right but um you know your your name's on the back of it too right and uh grandpa always taught you you're only as good as you do right you know and um i don't care what it costs you like if you say you're gonna do something you're gonna do it right like if i tell you i'm gonna do something i don't care what it costs that's funny that's a, it's a great so that's i love that story so it makes me think of um when I was coaching, um, at the end of the movie Saving Private Ryan, uh, it's, a, it's a great movie. You all know about it. But at the end of that movie, I think Spielberg put this in late. I don't think it was a plan. But at the end of the movie, they have, uh, I believe, somebody really from World War II standing over some graves at the beach of Normandy. There's a gravesite there with all of the, uh, the, the Americans that died at D-Day. And... I think they had a real person there. So he's standing over a grave and they end up the movie, uh, but it's a true story. And they had people that were now in their nineties um, talking about private Ryan and mm -hmm. what he meant. Like, and they went through like the names, like you know, every person. And that resonated with me. I think it was like every, everybody that was on that, you know, that just like names that would pop up and they mm -hmm. would kind of recollect. And that made me think of when I was coaching, I showed that scene that last scene of people remembering people just by their name and that like your name immediately resonates and starts drawing like adjectives of what you represent. 
right? And I can think of people I coached that I could say, you know, this person's name and I'd be like, man, hard worker, always there. This, you know, very great in the classroom or this person, you know, flunked out and didn't care, didn't work hard, you know, that sort of thing. Like, that's what we have. And I used to remember, I'd show that clip at the start of the season. I'd be like, hey guys, your name means something, right? And how you represent yourself and what you do and how you lead and how you inspire people and how you impact people. That, because all people are going to have to do is say Evian or Quinn, and it's immediately going to trigger something. And my hope would be is that it's good for me, good for my boys. And you know, that, uh, that those are good adjectives, not like, well, you, that's you a good look at it too. It's, it's one bad apple with that name too, can ruin it for the rest of them. Right. So you're not only, I mean, you're, you're living up to that name for, for your generation. Right. You know? Right. You don't want to be the bad apple in the group. Right. So. It's yeah. more than just yourself. Yeah, it is. So uh, I know we, we've been on 44 minutes or so, and we could probably go all day because um, <laughs> uh, I love this stuff. But so let me just ask you, what would you in developing and leaders like leadership is kind of this thing where it's like, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it, that kind of idea. Like I can't define it, uh, but I know when I see it, uh, I know when I see it, that I, uh, that, that's leadership. But what are the things that you look for in great leaders? Like when you're building teams and trying to uh, develop more leaders on your team, um, what are some of the things that you think are important for those people to start to step up to the plate? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's really the, the trust factor. Like that that's where it starts. Um, if I don't trust an individual, like if they've done some things, they said they were going to do some things and didn't do it, like that's a big deal for me. Okay, I'm going to cut you there. Yeah. Okay. So in a podcast that I told everybody about in episode 11, I recorded a podcast yesterday and messed up the audio so I didn't get it. The, uh, and, I'm, and Joe just said something that really resonated with me with last week's notes. And my notes last week were that we need to be connected with one another. Great teams are connected. Mm-hmm. Every time, you, and this comes from a gentleman named John Womack. John Womack, I was a part, not a part of, I attended a mastermind group last Wednesday here in St. Louis. John Womack, who's an author and a personal coach, gave a great hour and a half, two hour talk. One of the takeaways from there was every time you honor a commitment, your relationship and your ability to be connected with that individual deepens, right? And I know that stuff is kind of fluffy and all that, but Joe just said it. It's about trust. It's about being connected. It's about upholding your commitments. And that is a core tenant to being connected is a core tenant to any team. That's why after Friday night, you went out and had pizza with your teammates, mm-hmm. right? And we all went over to a friend's house. Like sure. it's all about being connected. But when you honor those commitments, that's when that relationship deepens. And yeah. it's true in everything. with our kids. Yeah. It's true with our wives. It's true with everything, right? Well, I look at delegation as trust. Like if I delegate something to you, right. that means I trust you. Right. And some people will take delegation as, as, oh, you're giving me all this work. No, dude, I, I trust that you're going to get this done. I mean, you're, right. you're, you're my go-to person on this assignment right here. So view this as me trusting you, right. you know, and to me that, that goes a long way. And, and I think that's really the first thing that, that I look for trust. And then, so if you can trust somebody that that's the very first, like, that's the very first thing for me, for me, what, um, what do you feel you're great at as a leader? And you l- listen, for those that are listening that I'm going to remind you, yeah. You grew up one of nine family farm, you know, strong willed grandpa went to college, played college football. Then first job out of college, you're working for Sam's club and you're 25 building distribution centers. 
right? What are what are you great at? Like, why? What what do you think? Other other than maybe just some of the things we talked about, being connected and all that. But what are your greatest leadership things? You know, I feel what I'm best at is really just bringing the entire team together. I, I'm good at focusing on a goal, um, getting everybody aligned on a common vision, and regardless of whatever it is, whatever the company is, you know, whatever the priorities are for the week or for, mm-hmm. maybe it's for the month or for the year, I'm good at bringing multiple people together. And and setting goals and winning. I, I I've been very fortunate in my entire career to to have a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is why. I mean, uh, I enjoy bringing multiple functions together. I enjoy big projects. I enjoy taking complex problems and solving them. Like mm-hmm. make it complex. Give me the biggest puzzle you could possibly solve and give it to me. And I'm going to get the right people doing the right things. Right. And we're going to get people motivated. And we're going to go crushing. And I think I'm good at getting people pumped up for that. Um, just being the visionary and being the mm-hmm. leader and getting people focused. Right. I th- and, and honestly, that's what, my, that's what happened in my career. Right? Right. Every time I've been promoted, it's, Joe, we need you to fix this. Like, I, you got, we got problems here. Right. I need you to go to move to St. Louis. I need you to take on this responsibility. Um, and that's what I made my career. You, I think you simplified it when we're just sitting around talking. And I think, and I could be totally wrong with the exact phrase. But you have essentially told me, like, if I get a job, um, that company better better be ready to kick ass because I'm going to expand it. We're gonna we're gonna position this. It's gonna grow. You better be ready to scale because I'm gonna come in and crush it. I mean, that's kind of your mindset, and it makes me think of you've said it that way with me. Um, my brother, who uh, my brother's a CTO here in town, and I asked him one day about his motivation and what kind of juices him up and where he's going and. Um, and that, and things of that nature. And he, my brother was very simple about it. He looked at me, uh, very sternly with, uh, with a furrowed brow. And he looked at me, he said, George, I love to kick ass. <laughs> and that's all he said. Like that was his motivation. Like I like to wake up every day and get after yeah. And when I talked with you, you kind of said the same thing. Like that's, that juices you up. Like you like yeah, crushing. Uh, very, very competitive nature. So, right. um, geez, I still like to compete regardless of what I do to this right. day, whether it's um, lifting weights early in the morning with people right. or um, I, I like to be benchmarked. I want to, I want to be the best of the best. And right. it makes me feel good when I can reward and recognize our teams. Um, mm-hmm. I get, uh, I, I love doing that. I like just that positive reinforcement that we were the best at whatever we were going to go to. Right. The best in the country. Like when, when we can say that, that, that that's what gets me excited. Man, that's cool. I mean, to, to have that. And that's, is that growing up one and nine? And you're trying to earn your way and exactly. not get your I'm just tail beat. To eat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got to compete to eat. Exactly. Uh, that's great. So, what, what's the, so what's the future then? Where are, we, where are we at? What are we doing? I mean, where, so you're, you're young. So I'm 45. You're 30, what? 39. Almost. Right. And you, you've, done a, you've done quite a bit for 39 to start at 25 and do things. Where, where are you at at 49? So for me, it's just impacting people. You know, uh, I want to be able to impact more people in a positive way through different outlets. You know, I'm um, on a board of the uh, not-for-profit group here in St. Louis and, you know, being able to impact that way. And I don't know a ton about the industry, but I know how to run the business. You know, right. I, it's actually part of the homeless shelter is what I'm involved in. Um, so I bring a different skill set there. Mm-hmm. Um, do I know a bunch about homelessness? No, I'd be lying to you. I can bring people together to the shelter. Um, I can help develop, and that's what we're working on right now is a five-year strategy. You know, mm-hmm. Those are the things 
that I can do. That's the things that I want to be working on. Um, really just impacting people in a positive way. I want to be able to touch more people. And I think I bring, you know, the right attitude and skill sets um, to do mm-hmm. that. And I think that's why I got put there too. So um, both you and I listen to Gary V, uh, Gary Vanderchuk. And I've said on this podcast, he's kind of a must listen. I listen to him every day. I've read most of his books and continue to. I'm on his crushing it book. I think I'm on my third cycle with that book. This week, somebody asked him, where he's going to be or what he wants said about him and things about this. But you, what you said just resonated with me. He said this, the most important thing for him is legacy. Mm-hmm. And then he paused and he said, I want people to remember I brought them value, right? That was the most important thing to Gary V and that I wrote it down. I'm going to highlight it. It was a big thing for me is it's not about, uh, he also says something like this, and, and he, it's a simple two words that you made me think of when we were talking about, you know, your motivations and just getting after it and being competitive. Gary Vee has a phrase of, we'll see. Like, people are going to doubt you. Mm-hmm. People are going to say you can't do things, or people are going to say you're making the wrong play or the wrong business decision or whatever it might be. And Gary Vee is so competitive, he just says, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see who's right. Hey, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll grind it out. But I do like this idea of, I, the, of legacy. And what that word means to him is I just want people to remember that I brought them value. And that's, that's a mind shift that I'm having. Um, and that I, you know, that's a service. It's a, it's a servant mindset. No, absolutely. It, right. It's not too far away from mine. I mean, I said, I want to impact more people. Yeah. Right. You know, he wants to leave a legacy and his legacy is impacting more people. Right. In a positive right. Way. Right. So that's, so that's the next 10 years for you. Yeah. You know, if we would have dropped about 40 more cuss words, we'd have almost been like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But he's a must listen. So, yeah, I haven't cussed yet on the podcast, so I'm still trying to represent. We've got to rewind the tape. We might have and didn't know it. Right. Um, so, listen, um, we're going to leave with this. I, I will say this. We're buddies. Uh, and I, I said this on an earlier podcast, actually, with my company. I did a video conference recording today, and I talked about first-round draft picks. And everybody I seem to meet and the people I – uh, uh, have conversation with, I'm always struck and taken away. Like, man, that would be the first person I would take in, you know, this draft for this position, or if that person were on my team, or if I could have that person representing my company or whatever it might be. And I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this, reach out to Joe on LinkedIn. Are you, you and you're on Twitter? Are you on Twitter? I'm not. You're not on Twitter. So track Joe. It's well, Joe. Actually, I am, but I just don't, really don't use anything. <laughs> so if you want to track Joe down, um, uh, track him down on LinkedIn. It's, it's Joe uh, Quinn with two N's, Q-U-I-N-N. And I'm telling you right now, if if you have a need uh, in the verticals or uh, spaces that we've talked about today, like he he should be your first phone call, like without question. And I know people that uh, are in St. Louis that have reached out to Joe and uh, would love to do anything to have them have Joe be a part of their team. So it's a that's a, a bit. so yeah, thanks, well, thanks Joe for no, first. For that. I mean, I really appreciate that. Was a nice word you said. Things about him, so I appreciate that. And yeah, if you want to reach out to me, I, I'm always willing to, whether it's a phone call or meeting for coffee, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. So I appreciate yeah. you doing that. And um, just a little shout out to George. The, he's the, He mentioned he coaches my kids, honestly, one, one of the best. We've had a lot of different coaches in our career in a lot of different cities, and and uh, we appreciate and value what you do there. So I appreciate oh, that. The, the number one, the, and uh, we've talked a little bit about this. I believe this, and uh, my. Um, not that my philosophy is always changing, uh, but I'm always trying to learn. But I do. I'm on the kick now that the number one job of leaders, other than developing more leaders, is to inspire. Mm-hmm. 
inspire the people that you're uh, privileged. I learned that, uh, not that I learned the word privilege today, but I learned the phrase of being privileged to lead. I really liked that phrase that I learned in a pod, uh, heard in a podcast today. Um, but I'm, I am privileged to lead a number of different groups um, of all ages. And I believe my job is to inspire and to have people leaving uh, meetings with me or discussions with me feeling like they can crush it um, and be anything they want to be. And Joe's boys, my boys, and a number of other kids and groups in the area, I'm fortunate to do that with. So it's been great. So reach out to Joe on LinkedIn. Um, we'll have him back. He's a buddy of mine who has great insight and uh, gets us all thinking. So that's about 55 minutes. First podcast guest. And I don't think there are any problems with the audio. So we got it all. So uh, enjoy the podcast and we'll be back in the next week or so. Thanks.